I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in mid-air, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war, against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, and locked and sealed it over him, to keep him from deceiving the nations any more, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night for ever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, in, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead and that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Thanks, Judy. Uh, and thank you for reminding me that I'm a bad grandson. <laughs> Sorry, Alma. Uh, please keep your Bibles open. Um, there is a lot in that passage, uh, a lot that is hard and a lot that is a bit strange uh, and you'll be well served if you can follow along uh, as we work our way through it this morning. Thank you. Uh, I want you to imagine that over the next couple of weeks you develop a, uh, an ache in your head. Uh, it, it comes and it goes but you can feel it's kind of gradually getting worse. Um, it's not your typical headache, you know, you, you take the Panadol you would usually take and it just doesn't cut it. Uh, it's, it's not helping as, as days go by, uh, the, the pain is worse, it's becoming a distraction and so you think, well, I'm sick of it, I'm going to go to the doc and we're going to go and sort this out. So you go down to your GP uh, and your GP's concerned. Uh, he says, look, we, we should look into this, let's get some tests done. So he sends you off for your scans, he sends you off for your bloods and what other uh, tests he decides you need and then you have that nervous wait as you wait to see what it's all about, what the results will tell you. Finally, it always seems to take forever, finally he calls you in, he says, the results have come in, I'd like you to come and see me, uh, here's your time, come, and, come into my office and see me. And so you come in very nervously, very stressed and the doctor looks at you and he says, your tests are all clear. It's fine. There's nothing wrong. You're probably just stressed. Get some rest, get some exercise, drink less, eat better and it should be fine. I mean, you're going to be relieved, aren't you? you that's, a, that's a great outcome, isn't it? You're going to go away, you're going to go away happy. That is good news. And so you do as he says. You get some rest, you do some exercise, you, you do all these things. But the pain continues you think, well, the doctor said it's fine, it's, I'm not going to worry about it, I'll just keep doing what he says, it's eventually going to go. But one day you're out shopping and you faint. And you wake up in hospital and you can't get out of bed. And the doctor there comes to you and says, with a very grim face, I have terrible news, you're very sick and you only have hours to live. Now you're not going to be so happy, are you? In fact, you're going to be horrified in between calling your family and friends and loved ones. You're going to call your GP and you are going to scream at him, what is going on? How could this possibly be true? You said the results were clear. Well, how are you going to feel if your GP says, actually they weren't. I just didn't know how to give you the hard news. You're not going to appreciate the gesture, are you? You are going to be furious and if you had more than hours you would probably see that he gets disbarred forever. You're going to be angry because, see, the, the only thing worse than, than, not, uh, than getting bad news or hard news is not getting it and suffering as a result. 
Sometimes it is just better to face up to the hard news that we need to hear. And that's why we need to consider this passage today. I don't know what you thought as you were reading it, uh, as we were listening to it being read, but this passage is hard news. There is destruction, there is judgement and there is the severest of punishment. It would be so easy to skip it. I mean, we've been in Revelation for a while. Let's just go to the end. It's so nice, the next chapter. Let's just get there quickly. But it would be a mistake because as hard as this news is, we need it. We need to hear it. Not only its warning, but the hope it holds out as well. What does it mean that Jesus is a judge? What does it mean that there is a judgment coming and an end to everything? What will that be like? Well, that's what we find here in Revelation 19 and 20 and that's what we're going to be considering this morning. Uh, If you've been here throughout the series, you'll know we've seen that the book of Revelation to this point is really uh, a series of cycles. It's not a timeline uh, of what the future will hold. It is a series of cycles describing what all the time between Christ's first and his second coming will look like. And all of those cycles ends in the same way. The last is judgment. But not to this point has it been described. It's only been, we've been told it's going to come, we've been, uh, hints have been given of what it will be like, but we, we haven't seen the full picture until now. Now it is fully unveiled. Previously John has seen into heaven or seen things from heaven. Now... We see there in verse 11, I see heaven, uh, saw heaven standing open. This is the full unveiling. This is the clear picture. This is what is going to happen and what it will be like. And this is what he sees from verse 11. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. John sees this magnificent rider, uh, glorious and powerful, riding this white horse, and it is clear this is, this is not just anyone. This is Jesus. This is Jesus in all his glory and holiness and majesty. All the, the language that has been used to describe him to this point in Revelation is, is gathered here to present this picture before us. And he's shown to us, not as he's appeared previously, not as the Lamb, but he is now here as the conqueror, uh, as the king riding out to war. He's at the head of this magnificent army. The armies of heaven follow him marching out to battle. An angel heralds their coming. Look at verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. I mean, this is not just propaganda. Uh, This is the angel who, who stands in the sun, who stands in the very heavens, who declares the truth. It's not just threats he's calling out. 
This is facts. This gruesome supper, this gruesome feast is being prepared. Last week we saw Jesus' people being invited to his glorious and good wedding feast. Well, now there's another feast and it's for everyone else. But they will be feasted on by the birds of the air. The white rider is riding to war. It's not the colour you might expect, is it? I mean, soldiers don't wear white. Uh, you don't wear white if you're planning on doing something in which you're going to get dirty, are you? It's, it's just not very practical. Uh, if you think you're going to get dirty, you, that's the last colour you wear. Uh, that's why I'm confused why we always dress our kids in white. I don't know, one minute, they're putrid. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, when I take someone squid fishing, I, I expressly tell them, don't wear white. Uh, if you've ever caught a squid, they shoot black ink a long way and it's very hard to wash out, so I'm told. It's not worth it. Don't wear white, speaking from too much experience. So why does Jesus wear white to a battle? That just seems like a terrible idea. It's, it's not going to work out. Until that is... We see how this battle plays out. Look at verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorge themselves on their flesh. See, the battle doesn't actually play out, does it? There is no war here. It's, it's almost a great anticlimax. You, you expect this great confrontation, the armies of the earth and the armies of heaven duking it out over the course of chapters, but it doesn't happen. There is no fight here. Instead, the great enemies, the beast and the prophet, they're simply captured. They're so comprehensively overwhelmed, they don't even put up a fight. They're just clamped in irons. Their forces are destroyed and heaven's armies don't even fight in this battle. They don't even play a part. I mean, how can that be? How, how is the, the last battle so decisive, so one-sided? Well, you might have seen it. There was a clue in what we read before in verse 13. Let me read it again. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. See, there was no blood shed at this battle because all the blood had been shed already. Jesus' robe was dipped in blood. His blood was poured out long before this battle ever takes place. And then, and there, this battle was already won. That's what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2. He says this about Jesus. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. See, it was there and it was then at the cross as Jesus shed his own blood and gave his own life up. It was there that this battle was won. It was there that these forces were beaten. And so what happens now is just like the last quarter of a game of footy. Uh, imagine a game of footy. One team is up by 100 points. You know, they've got to go out, they've got to play the match out, but everyone knows how it's going to end. Everyone knows who's won. That's what this battle is like. There's no uncertainty here. Uh, even though this battle is still to be held, we know who's won. Jesus is victorious. Uh, incredibly, paradoxically, he's won at the cross, at his death. 
He's one where his blood was shed long ago. Not here in Revelation. And all that is left, all that we wait to see, is this being played out when he returns. What an amazing thing uh, for John to write to the churches of his day. Uh, remember this is 2,000 years ago just about. They, they faced the great empire of Rome, the superpower of the day, the, the, the power that was so corrupt and so violent. Uh, in their past they had faced extreme persecution and in their future they would face even more and much worse. Uh, the loss of their livelihoods, their ostracism, uh, abuse, even violent and cruel execution. It, it was a hard time to be a Christian, a scary time to be a Christian. And yet what John is saying here and what this vision is presenting to them is that everything that stands against them, all that opposition so great and so mighty as it appears, is beaten already. It's already lost. Because Jesus has won and in him so have his people. In fact, he has won so much that John can write this in chapter 20 from verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have, who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Uh, this, this thousand years is not a literal thousand years uh, like the other numbers in the book of Revelation. It is a symbol, uh, and in this case a symbol of a really long time. That is the time between when Jesus went up to heaven and the time when he's going to come back down from heaven. And what we're being told here is that in this time, in this really long time, the time that we live today, uh, Satan, the great opposer, the great deceiver, is bound. His power has been limited. He's not powerless, but he is on a leash. And in this time, he is not free, but believers are. Believers are free, free to live in and to enjoy uh, the blessings of Jesus' victory. Even if death should take them, they will still be free, reigning with him in glory. And that is the point for us here. Look at the cross and know that there is not a power remaining in this world that can overcome you if you belong to Jesus. There is not a power stronger than you if you are his. Even if death takes you, you are not beaten, for you are victorious, reigning in him and with him. The fact is, our greatest enemy is on the leash. He is under heaven's control. So why should we act as if he was free and we were bound? Why should we cower in fear? Why should we worry about the things that could potentially happen to us 
Why should we be so timid for Jesus? He's already won. He's the conqueror. He's the king. The devil is bound. We are free. There's no need for fear for us, regardless of what happens. Instead, confidence and boldness is ours because Jesus has won. He is victorious. He has overcome. And his people in him. What this passage tells us is we can be bold, uh, expectant, even hopeful in this day because Jesus has said his church will prevail and because he has overcome, it will. He has won and his people in him. But there is more. Even though the devil is beaten, uh, his crimes and the crimes of men uh, need to be dealt with. We need to see the aftermath of this great battle. Uh, And that's what the rest of this passage uh, describes for us. First of all, we see the the battle rehashed. Uh, Look at chapter 20, verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, This is not another battle. It's not like we had one battle and now here's a second. It's the same battle. It's the same fight, the same struggle. uh, Just given with different terms. Uh, now Satan is included to, to show us that he too is part of this defeat. He too is going to be overcome, going to be thrown down. He too is going to meet the end he deserves. Uh, you might have seen again, there was no battle here. Uh, the fire comes down from heaven and that's the end. That's it. And it truly is the end. It is all over. The battle is won. And it is time for the combatants to be judged. And now that that great judgment that has been hinted at throughout the book of Revelation is described in full. Look at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. John sees the great throne and on that throne is sitting God Almighty. Uh, So glorious, so holy, so fearsomely righteous that even the earth and sky can't bear to stand in his presence and flee before him. And in front of this great throne is gathered all of humanity, all of the dead, great and small, those who are in the sea or in death or in Hades, that is everywhere, Everyone is there. None will escape this judgment. All who have ever existed will have their place standing before the great throne of God. And this judgment will be final. 
There's nothing to follow afterwards. Uh, Death and Hades themselves uh, are thrown into the lake of fire. There's no longer any chance of of going there. That is not a place uh, where anyone will end up. There is no further death beyond this. There is only one of two destinations from this judgment. It is either eternal life or it is eternal destruction. There are no second chances anymore. This is the end. Everyone will have their time. Everyone will be judged here according to their deeds. The great record books of heaven will be opened and a true reckoning of every person of every deed will be made. All will be revealed. Not a single thing will be missed. It won't just be your internet history. It will be every word, every thought, every deed, every motive. All the things you thought hidden, all the things you thought secret will be brought to light. The bad things you have done will be shown for how terrible they are. Even the good things that you have done will be shown with all their mixed motives and, and, and corruption. Every single sordid detail will be seen for all. It will not be said about a single person that, they were better, that we thought they were better uh, than they ever thought. Every single person will instead be shown to be far more depraved, far more corrupt than we'd ever feared. In the face of the awesome holiness and purity of God, each of us will seem even more awfully sinful than we'd ever imagined. You know, it's, it's, it's like a car windscreen. You know, Every so often you feel like you have to clean your car windscreen. It's just one of those jobs. Everyone hates doing it. It's hard. It's annoying. But you feel like you should. And so you scrub it inside out, you give it all those special wipes and Windex and things that are supposed to make your car windows look good. And when you're done, you know, it looks better than it did before at least. And so you go for a drive, uh, you're heading towards the sun and you look through your windscreen and it is just putrid. It looked so good but now you can see every smear and every streak and all the little spots you thought you'd got but actually missed and it looks terrible. It's not clean, it's filthy. Well, that is going to be every single one of us, every single person standing before God. When we see the true light of his purity and holiness, we're not going to look better. We are going to look far worse. We are going to be shown to be completely and thoroughly filthy with sin. I mean, it's pretty rare that someone would call themselves a bad person. You know, m- most people say, oh, look, I'm not perfect, I'm okay, at least compared to... But on that day, no one will claim anything else. No one will dispute the justice of God. No one would argue with the deservedness of this punishment. And that punishment is clear. It is a place in the lake of fire, day and night, forever and ever. The punishment is eternal because that is where sin deserves. Uh, if you go for a walk down Ryby Street tomorrow uh, and for some reason uh, decide to slap a little old lady, not recommended, there will be consequences for your decision. Uh, you will be at the very least despised. Uh, you will potentially get a fine or community service. Uh, depending on how hard you hit, you may even get jail time. But if tomorrow morning you fly to London uh, and somehow gain entrance into Buckingham Palace, and slap the little old lady there, 
which I recommend even less, <laughs> you will never again see the light of day. You will have a cold, dark jail cell and you will be forgotten for the rest of your life. Because at the end of the day, the greatness of the consequence depends on the greatness of the one offended. And that is why the penalty for sin is eternal. Because God is infinitely holy and so a crime committed against him is an infinite crime. And there is only one punishment possible, unending punishment, eternal. Now whether it literally is a lake of fire or not, it's, it's just not the point. Uh, the point is that justice will be served and it will be awful. Whatever it is, it will be bad. Uh, hell is not a place where all the cool people go. It's not where you get to hang out with your friends in some eternal party while all the boring people go to heaven. Hell is bad. It is the wrath and anger and perfect justice of God forever. There is no relenting. There is no relief. There will be no end to it and no escape from it. There is no alternative. Uh, there's not just nothing after death. There is no reincarnation, there is no second chance. It is final and it is forever. One day you will stand before God and you will stand there with nothing between you and his awesome righteousness. And in that moment you will feel, finally feel for the, the full and incredible weight of your sin and corruption as you see his face. And in that moment you will know that there is not a single excuse that will ever cut it. There is only deserved judgment. Unless. Unless your name is written in the book of life. Because if it is, then there is no condemnation. If it is, there is no sentence against you. For the life required of you, the blood that must be shed, has been already. Because of the incredible grace and mercy of God, all that wrath and anger and justice that ought to fall on you has instead fallen on Jesus and he has taken it willingly. And therefore, because God is just, he will not, he cannot punish you. He will not do double service for your sin. Instead, at the bottom of your record of sin writes, debt cancelled, amount owing zero. The only way to face that day without fear is to have your name written in the book, his book of life. How? Well, simply by trusting him. This is what 1 John 1 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Then, that day holds no fear. It will bring no nasty surprises. Instead, it will bring only confidence and only love as you see truly what your Saviour has done in order to rescue you. Now, some of you here will not have that confidence. For some of you here, that day is only fear and in fact, now it ought to be only fear. 
Right now, your life, your eternal end is held in the balance. You, you stand on the edge of a knife. There is a day coming where there will be no more second chances and who knows when that day will be. It could be 10, it could be 20, it could be 50 years. It may well be tomorrow. But just know this. Until that day comes, you have a chance. In spite of the anger that you deserve, in spite of the punishment that your sins have stored up, in spite of the fact that you already deserve it now, God is still extending his mercy today. In fact, you are here today only because he is still choosing to extend his mercy to you. But if that is you, then his invitation still stands. The invitation from the end of Revelation. Come, whoever is thirsty. Uh, Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. You can receive that even today. Even now. You can escape the wrath that you deserve, a wrath so terrible it can't even be described. And you can find in the place of eternal punishment, eternal life. Yeah, it's going to cost you. I mean, but honestly, what would be worse? You know, no cost now, but terror forever? Or everything now and joy forever? All that it takes is the most simple of steps. To acknowledge your sin, to confess it before God, to repent of the way you used to live and to put your trust in Jesus. And then you'll find your name in his book. There is a doorway standing before you this morning and on this side it says, Come. And should you choose to step through, you'll find written on the other side your name in the book of life from the foundation of the world. This end is coming. One day Jesus will appear in the skies and he will end it all. His victory will be seen. The saints will join him in it. Judgment will be made and justice will be served. It will be terror for those who are apart from him but it will be joy for those who are in him. Today, though, is still his time of mercy. Today, though, his patience and forbearance is still here. Now is the time to declare his name. Now is the time to call people to put their faith in him and to escape the coming wrath. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the thought of your holy justice Uh, The horror of eternal punishment is terrifying for us to comprehend. Uh, It it shocks us, it confronts us. Uh, We wrestle just to even get our minds around it. But Father, it would be even worse if we didn't know that that day and that horror is not for us. For you have rescued your people in Jesus. We praise you for the immense, the incredible grace that you have shown us in him in plucking us out of this disaster and giving us life forever with him. Father, we thank you for that grace, but we pray for our loved ones, for those we know who are facing this judgment apart from you. Father, may you be merciful. May you rescue them from this terrible end. 
Father, help us to see the urgency. Help us to, to show them and, and speak to them and point to them, uh, to Jesus, to the grace that is found in him. Father, we thank you that you will uh, bring an end. We thank you that Jesus is the king and that one day all that is bad will be destroyed forever. We thank you that his grace is ours. In his name we pray. Amen.